I, I agree. And, you know, many, many things we do in veterinary medicine, they come from human medicine. And uh, at some point, glucocorticoids were considered to be risk factors for the development of pancreatitis in humans. This has changed in humans as well. So no longer corticosteroids are considered to be um, um, to increase the probability of uh, developing pancreatitis. And there is absolutely no evidence in dogs or cats that glucocorticoids um, can induce pancreatitis or make it worse. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. And Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, and this is the Per Podcast. You were perfect, Dr. Susan. I know. So, uh, so uh, Dr. Penasanulis is back with us um, again, which we're very happy about. But what what you don't know, Panos, is that I almost always flub the intro. <laughs> so I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm working hard to get better at the intro. So that's why you're always mm. laughing at me. <laughs> yeah. We're, so we're at the 80 plus episode of this podcast, yeah. and uh, and oh. even now after 80 times, Dr. Susan always start. You see her face, although people cannot see your face, but I can, <laughs> and you can, and she's like. What? Oh, that's me. <laughs> and then she jumps in. So, uh, but we're really happy to have you back, yeah. Dr. Panos, uh, uh, for our second episode. We left kind of with a cliffhanger about diagnosis. Uh, uh, we talked about some, some lab tests that you can do. My question to you was, you know, people, especially, you know, I remember from, from, from the D word that people are worried about it, but I can't even imagine how worried people are in cats to take pancreatic biopsies and sometimes that's the only way you can finally make a solid diagnosis because sometimes you know you were telling how difficult it is in cats to um, to see the clinical signs because the clinical signs are different sometimes the tests don't work or they give you these maybe maybe not results uh, and sometimes people really want to have a diagnosis and then, you know, the only thing really you can do is a pancreatic biopsy, I guess. And so I just want to talk to you a little bit as a surgeon, should we be worried about it? Uh, why don't people like it? And, and what is the, you know, what is the usefulness of a pancreatic biopsy? Okay. Yeah, that's an excellent question. And um, the truth is that uh, in the past, we used to think that if you touch the pancreas, something bad will happen. You will probably cause pancreatitis or, um, you know, the, the patient may die or something like this. Mm -hmm. We know that this is not entirely true. Um, we know that it's relatively safe to take biopsies from the pancreas, and we often do that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we have to be careful and... Uh, be very gentle with the pancreas, but we can definitely uh, take pancreatic biopsies and they sometimes they really help with uh, diagnosing pancreatitis. Now, I really like to do that in cats that we do exploratory laparotomies or in cats that, that we believe have more than one GI disease. 
that's a perfect way to get biopsies from the intestine, from the liver, and from the pancreas. And because cats often get inflammation of all those three organs at the same time, that's a, that's a perfect, very good method uh, with uh, diagnosing everything. Um, we really do that quite often, I would say. Now, the one thing I would be careful with uh, uh, diagnosing pancreatitis or excluding pancreatitis in uh, cats using pancreatic biopsy is this. There is evidence in the literature that um, pancreatitis is often highly localized. Yeah. So sometimes we might get a pancreatic biopsy from one part of the pancreas and we might see absolutely normal tissue. Right. There is a possibility that there might be inflammation in a different part of the pancreas that we have missed. So pancreatitis, I mean, um, pancreatic biopsy is a great uh, way of confirming the presence and the type of pancreatitis, but sometimes we might miss it, even with, uh, with the biopsy. And you know, with, with the biopsy, we can't really take 10 biopsies from the pancreas. Mm. Uh, so that's something that we really have to have in mind. I, I, thank you for, for that, uh, that, that question of that answer. And, and, and just as a surgeon perspective, you know, I, I always was amazed about when, you know, I did quite a lot of insulinomas because that was my, my research in, 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 in the D word and very rarely in the, the cat, but you use a suture and we call it the suture crushing method where you crush through the pancreas. And those, most of those cases did not have any signs of pancreatitis. So lately we developed that by using, um, you know, some thermal devices to cut through the pancreas. Uh, and even in those cases where you use heat and sealing devices, cats and these don't get any pancreatitis. So I'm so happy that you're, you're telling that, that it's okay to touch the pancreas, it's okay to biopsy it, because very rarely you will find that that will cause the pancreatitis. If you see pancreatitis, it's probably another cause uh, of that disease. Sorry, Susan, I cut you off. No, I was going to ask you, you, you partly answered my question. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm a practitioner in, in private practice, and I'm going to do an exploratory and biopsy the pancreas. So I don't have heat sealing devices, but what would you recommend I use? Like the suture crush technique? I would. I mean, I think it's, it's you know, the, I think Panos brought up a good idea is that the pancreas is a very big organ, at least for me. And so just biopsying one part, if you have a generalized disease, then you can biopsy anywhere in the pancreas, you know, and you get that generalized disease. But if it is a local disease, which often happens, then you have to look at the whole pancreas. So I normally check the whole pancreas, so the left side, the corpus and the right side. If it is all generalized, I'll just take the easiest site that I can find, which is most of the time the right side, and do a little bit of a crushing technique. But you can also use punch biopsies. Yeah. There's okay. lots of ways you can do it. Yeah. Um, if it is like localized disease, I try, try to get a biopsy from a normal piece of the pancreas and the abnormal. So you can get that comparison too. So, But Panos, maybe you have some other good yeah. advice in, in this. Well, actually, I completely agree with what you said. Uh, what I would like to point out is that <clears throat> we know that 
only a relatively small percentage of cats with pancreatitis have macroscopic gross lesions of the pancreas. Yeah. So sometimes we can see uh, a gross appearance of the pancreas that's completely normal. Uh, first of all, this should not be an indication for not biopsying the pancreas. Right. We should still get biopsies. And that gets slightly more confusing because there might be inflammation anywhere in the pancreas and we have no indication where to take the, the biopsy from. So clearly, if there, is, if there are lesions, we get biopsies from that area, if that's possible. Otherwise, it's kind of random where to get biopsies from. But we absolutely have to still biopsy the pancreas, even if it looks normal, grossly. So, so is, we can't say that um, disease is more likely in the left limb or the right limb. Is there, is there any data to say, oh, you should always make sure you get from Honestly, this? Honestly, I mean, there have been some studies that show that one uh, limb might be more commonly affected, but this is often not uh, uh, evidenced in another study. So I don't think at this point we have clear evidence yeah. that we should uh, target uh, a specific limb of the pancreas. So it's probably best just to try to take, uh, I usually take three or four, depending sort of on the cat punch biopsies in, in different areas. Exactly, that's yeah. the ideal. I usually try to get maybe three from different parts. And this way, you know, you increase the probability that you will find something if it's there. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah good. So I, uh, Yola mentioned insulinomas. Did, have you done surgery on an insulinoma in a cat, Yola? I did, yeah, it's very, very rare. Yeah. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, we're, we're, we're finishing with the VSSO, the Veneer Surgical Oncology Society, a paper of oh, 19 insulinomas, which is a, you know, the biggest amount that you will ever see in the world because they are so rare. In my whole career, I've cut two um, and one came out to be an insulinoma, one came out to be a unknown pancreatic tumor, which is, you know, it, it's pretty common also in people. Um, and uh, so it's it's so those nineteen will be uh, will be written up hopefully uh, this year, and that is a combination of every veterinary surgeon in the world uh, <laughs> getting all those uh, those cases together. So it's a super rare disease in cats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so not not a lot of surgical options for or reasons for you to go into the pancreas, Coriola. Except for biopsying, and and, and I love what Pano says. I mean, yeah. you know, when you do an exploratory laparotomy in any animal, you're not there to watch only. <laughs> of course, you do because that's part of your diagnosing. But you're also there to act, and yeah. acting means that if you if you don't know what's going on, to take biopsies. And what do you take biopsies of? Depending on the clinical signs, always the GI tract and not on one spot. You have to do multiple spots. You take a biopsy of the liver and you take a biopsy of the pancreas because that's how you get an answer. If you just close them up, you yeah. still don't know anything and you spend hundreds of dollars or whatever currency you have <laughs> and, and you just let the evil spirits out and hope that the cat will then uh, get better or survive. I am going to steal that line. You're not there to watch. <laughs> That's perfect. I love it. It's so I'm, I'm going to say something, or I'm going to tell you something I've heard that I think is kind of provo provocative, um, Panos, about especially chronic pancreatitis in cats. So I've had veterinarians say to me, well, there's no specific treatment anyway. So why should I bother spending the client's money 
right, on <clears throat> chasing down the, the diagnosis when it's just supportive care anyway. Well, I heard that too. Yeah. And you know, sometimes it's true. Uh, in most cases, it's not. The truth is, in cats, we don't know exactly what the trigger of chronic pancreatitis is. So we can't really give specific treatment. But the truth is also that things are changing. Uh, so, and you know, some of the things we, th we, we do might be anecdotal. We might have not um, reached the evidence yes, yet, but um, it's not very uncommon nowadays that um, we have a cat that has chronic pancreatitis Right. And uh, if it causes clinical signs that we consider to be uh, severe, so, you know, occasional vomiting or abdominal pain or something like that, um, we have to do something. So what's, you know, that something might be just supportive care, but in some cases, it might be other things. Um, personally, and I know some other clinicians as well. I don't know if you've done this before, but sometimes we do use very carefully um, uh, steroids, so prednisolone, uh, in cats with chronic severe pancreatic inflammation. Um, no, for sure if it helps. Personally, in some cases that, that I've used it, I think it made a difference. Uh, again, we have to be careful, but since we don't know the etiology of pancreatitis in cats, uh, there is a possibility that, as is the case in humans, some of these cases have an autoimmune basis. Yeah. So in those cases, uh, we have reasons to believe that uh, treatment with uh, um, glucocorticoids will help, and it does seem to help in some cases. Uh, so things might not be, you know, that simple, but it's true that in some cases we can't really uh, do much. On the other hand, uh, as we said before, cats might not show that they're in pain, but many cats, most cats maybe, with chronic pancreatitis uh, might have occasional abdominal pain that might be severe. So in these cats, we might be able to put them on uh, pain medications and, you know, make their life uh, less miserable yeah. because of chronic pain. So I would argue that there are different things that we can do to take care of these cats and make sure that they don't suffer because of this condition. You know, it's in interesting that you mentioned those two things because Again, I, I went to vet school in, in, a, in a time, and I think probably Yola did, and, and maybe you as well, when we were told, don't give corticosteroids to pancreatitis patients, and don't give opioids to pancreatitis patients, right? And, and gas sometimes, yeah. We've heard that too, right? Right, exactly. Um, and so those are two myths that I think we still have to do some work to uh, to, to uh change people's, you know, uh, um, outlook for both of those mm -hmm. classes of drugs, yeah. Uh, I, I agree. And, you know, many, many things we do in veterinary medicine, they come from human medicine. And uh, at some point, glucocorticoids were considered to be risk factors for the development of pancreatitis in humans. This has changed in humans as well. So no longer 
corticosteroids are considered to be um, um, to increase the probability of uh, developing pancreatitis. And there is absolutely no evidence in dogs or cats that um, corticoids can induce pancreatitis or make it worse. But, but yet we all remember that. that. <laughs> yeah, so do you think, because I always remember that glucocorticosteroids in cats were completely different than when you use them in dogs. So cats are much more uh, resistant to the side effects and that sort of thing. So I, I would say there's even more reason to use them in cats mm -hmm. than in dogs mm -hmm. because of, 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 of that fact. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we certainly, you know, get, getting back to the idea that cats with chronic pancreatitis may have another GI disease, that GI disease may need um, a glucocorticoid anyway. So, you know, and, and those are often the patients that I'm more likely to use a glucocorticoid when they've got multiple GI diseases and they're, they're not doing well. And, you know, you, you need to um, uh, add something else to, to help them. But I've seen a whole variety of things used for chronic pancreatitis patients. And, and I think that that comes because we don't have um, enough data to say exactly what we should use. So, you know, you see veterinarians using a lot of things. Um, uh, so I'll ask your opinion on two other things. One is um, uh, ursodiol. I've seen that recommended, not sure why. And, uh, and pancreatic enzyme supplementation, even if they don't have EPI. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've seen those two. Uh, I'm not aware of any scientific evidence that these work. Um, and um, well, about pancreatic enzymes, I, again, talking about human medicine, there was um, an opinion that if you use pancreatic enzymes in humans with chronic pancreatitis, uh, it reduces pain that's associated with chronic pancreatitis. Uh, I don't think that's the case anymore. It's not uh, even used in humans. And I think we have absolutely no reason to believe that this is going to help in cats. Um, I'm, <laughs> reluctant to use a large number of uh, medications that we have absolutely no um, idea whether they help or not. So if I'm not convinced that they do something that's useful, I try not to use them. So I, I personally don't use pancreatic enzyme in those cats and I don't use uh, ursodiol either, unless they have concurrent liver disease, sure. and we have to use it for that, absolutely. So just to, to, to summarize then, for a cat with acute pancreatitis that you have diagnosed, what would you use? Well, yeah, because those are usually sicker, it seems to me. Well, mo most cats with acute pancreatitis, I like to hospitalize. Yeah. So uh, number one, that's very, very important in my opinion. And again, I, we have not many studies and we have no, not a single prospective study that shows what works and what doesn't. But... What's more important for me is um, fluid therapy, extremely, extremely important, and um, proper fluid therapy uh, with, you know, trying not to underestimate the, the needs of the cat. So fluid therapy is very important. We know that pancreatic ischemia can induce pancreatitis and uh, can probably worsen pancreatitis as well. So if we a cat that doesn't eat, doesn't drink, 
and is uh, dehydrated, we have to correct this as soon as possible. So that's very important for me. Um, nutrition is extremely, extremely important. That's something else that has changed. Yes. Uh, we used to we used to fast dogs and cats with pancreatitis because we thought this is going to make pancreatitis worse. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Uh, it's not the case in humans, and it doesn't seem to be the case in dogs and cats. So personally, I don't wait uh, with uh, feeding cats. Uh, I try to feed them as soon as possible. I try to control the vomiting if that's an important uh, problem, and try to feed them as soon as possible. If they don't eat, we have to put a feeding catheter, yep. a feeding tube, eat tube preferably, yep. and uh, try to feed them as soon as possible. I think these two make a huge, huge difference, and we have to do it early enough yep. uh, to, be able, to be able to control that. Now, uh, there are other treatments. I almost never use antibiotics in pancreatitis in cats unless there is a specific indication for that. And there is there usually isn't, um, in my opinion. I don't use. Um, I used to use uh, proton pump inhibitors, so gastric protectants more commonly, but they don't seem to help either. And I don't use them anymore unless I have evidence of a gastric ulcer or something like that. Um, pain medications are extremely extremely important. It will. They will help the cat start eating earlier and obviously uh, help re reduce suffering that's associated with uh, abdominal pain in those cats. I avoid uh, NSAIDs, yeah. most exclusively use opioids in cats, and uh, buprenorphine or methadone are usually my first choices, or fentanyl, depending on how um, severe the pain is. Uh, so these three are the most important things I use for a treatment of those cats. And Panos, uh, just uh, for, for countries that don't have as easy a uh, availability of opioids, what would be an alternative? I'm, I'm not sure there is one, to tell you the truth. You know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs can theoretically be used. I don't, I avoid them because there is some evidence that might uh, make inflammation worse uh, in those cats. And um, we know that these cats are prone to developing uh, gastric ulcers and these kind of things because they're dehydrated. So if I put yeah. them on uh, enzymes as well, that's, yeah. that's, I think, high risk for me. So. I don't think there is an alternative to opioids in these cases. What do you think, Susan? Um, you no, know, I think opioids are are definitely the best. Um, but usually, in in different countries, there's at least an opioid. You know, it mm -hmm. might not always be buprenorphine, but and there's published doses for a lot of different opioids in cats. So I mean, I try to mm -hmm. find any opioid probably <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. um, first, now, and that should be possible. About that, coming back to what we were talking a few minutes before, um, I mentioned that I like to control vomiting. Yes. And I, I always use antiemetics, even in cats that they don't vomit, because sure. they usually have nausea that's extremely hard to detect. Now, uh, 
so anti-emetic treatment is very important. About that, there is evidence that maropitant, for example, uh, also uh, uh, works as an analgesic. True. One of my favorite anti-emetic drugs in cats with pancreatitis is maropitant. And if this does not control vomiting, then I might add something else. So some other things might help with uh, abdominal pain, but opioids, I think, are almost necessary in most cases. Uh, yeah. That's great. That's great. Let's switch to the more chronic cases then. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, this might be problematic, and they, it also depends what else is going on with them. Mm -hmm. So if cats have pancreatitis, it's slightly different with cats that also have IBD yeah. or uh, inflammatory liver disease, for example. Um, as I said, first of all, there is no evidence that, that uh, high um, uh, triglyceride or cholesterol diets um, are bad for cats. Okay, because in dogs, there is right. uh, evidence that high-fat diets can worsen or induce pancreatitis. So in cats, I'm not too worried about that. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're biologically ready for high-fat diets yeah, anyway. Exactly. Very different. Uh, so I don't... Uh, for me, it's an, a contraindication anyway to use low-fat diets in cats. So it's a difference from dogs, and uh, I, I think it's important to mention that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> important things for me are uh, pain medications. So cats that I have even the slightest evidence that might be in chronic pain because of pancreatitis, I put them on long-term um, opioid treatment. In those cases, I usually prefer either buprenorphine or tramadol. Some right. cases. Right. And um, also in some cases, even if they don't have inflammatory bowel disease and there is no other indication to use um, glucocorticoids, sometimes I might uh, do a trial with glucocorticoids and see how things are going. I usually monitor those cats by measuring um, PLI periodically and yeah. see what happens. Yeah. Uh, but at this point, although I know that there are probably some medications that are close to being released in the market, at this point, there is no other more specific treatment for chronic pancreatitis uh, cases. So do you think we'll have some, some is, there, is there hope on the horizon in, in terms, I guess, not just in terms of treatment, but in terms of other ways to, to diagnose? You know, what, what do you it's so funny, sorry, Panos, before you start answering that question, the question that came in my mind was the same. It's like, what is the hottest news in feline ah, okay. pancreatic disease right now? <laughs> that, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I think we've covered most of them, but um, I am aware of uh, a new drug that's uh, available for using dogs in parts of Asia. Ah. There is some evidence that it seems to be working well with pancreatitis. Hmm. I, I know there is interest in trying this drug in cats as well, but it's not available for using cats. I think this is probably going to change in the next few years. Right. So um, yes, we'll know more uh, hmm. pretty soon about that. Cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, another question is the 
we haven't talked about the treatment for chronic pancreatic insufficiency in cats. Ah, yes, EPM, yep. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, the most important thing there uh, is the use of pancreatic enzymes. That's what's missing from there. Uh, and uh, we have to, to replace that. Something that's very, very important in cats with, uh, with pancreatic insufficiency is cobalamin. Uh -huh. Almost every single cat that has pancreatic insufficiency will have cobalamin deficiency or will develop cobalamin deficiency because the only organ that produces uh, the intrinsic factor that's necessary for absorbing cobalamin is the pancreas. Yeah. Yeah. So pan cats with EPI do not absorb pancreatic um, uh, cobalamin. So we have to treat them with pancreatic enzymes plus give them cobalamin. Now, the interesting thing here is that we used to believe until very recently that cobalamin can only be used um, in an injectable form. Right. Uh, there is, it's still my preferred way of administering cobalamin to cats with EPI or, or with intestinal disease, but there is evidence that oral long-term oral supplementation uh, of cobalamin uh, is effective in restoring uh, cobalamin deficiency in those cats. So the most important things for treating cats with EPI uh, are pancreatic enzymes and uh, cobalamin supplementation. Some people use um, proton pump inhibitors to reduce gastric acidity or give antibiotics. Uh, there is no evidence that they help at all and I prefer not to use them unless the cat is not responding very well to the first two that I told you about. Um, the, the cobalamin story is interesting to me. So, so I've seen the, the research on the oral cobalamin has any, any research been done on oral cobalamin in a cat with pancreatic insufficiency though? Because their issue is intrinsic factor, right? So would exactly. it work in those cats or should it be injectable? Uh, again, well, th there is no specific uh, study specifically looking at EPI cats. Some yeah. of the, the study has, that has been published included a couple cats with EPI. Um, I, we don't know what happens, right. but uh, my preferred method is to use uh, injectable EPI, uh, injectable cobalamin. Now, I've had a few owners that for several reasons could not bring the cat in to uh, give cobalamin injections every week or every couple of weeks. Yeah. Those cases, instead of just not uh, giving cobalamin at all, uh, I've tried... Um, oral cobalamin, and uh, I've seen increases oh. in serum cobalamin concentrations. I'm not sure why, but yeah. why maybe the very low concentration of um, intrinsic factor that they do produce is enough if you give very large amounts of cobalamin. I don't know how it works. Yeah. It's possible that it's working. I haven't seen a, uh, a paper yet that looked only in EPI cats. Yeah. It's, it's very curious what this, this whole idea of giving oral cobalamin, because it kind of goes against 
what we were taught. Absolutely. I have to say that most of my clients still prefer injectable because it's cheaper, it's easier. Um, and the cats that are on long-term, like maybe once a month or once every six weeks, cobalamin injection, we, we teach the owners to do it at home. So for them, Absolutely. right? And, for them, it's cheap and easy. And, so, and even if I had to take my cat once a week for an injection, I'd rather do that uh, than giving them every day uh, cobalamin yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I agree with you. That's what most people would agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're almost done in time. Uh, I have one more question for you, and then I'll have Susan ask you one more question. Um, my question is, what cat disease keeps you up at night? Oh. <laughs> um, definitely. Um, severe acute pancreatitis cases. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I hate this, this disease in cats. It's unpredictable. We don't know uh, what's going to happen. Sometimes we have cats that we think are doing better and then suddenly uh, they're worse. Um, I, I don't like this disease at all, yeah. really. Yeah. And, and so funny to hear from a person that loves anything that has to do with the pancreas. Yeah. This Absolutely. is, yeah. So it's, it's the biggest threat to a pancreas, I, I guess, uh, in yeah. a cat. So thank you for that. And thank you for being on. So Dr. Susan. I have one more question. Uh-huh. I do? Good. Um, so yes. I, I noticed that um, I think earlier this year, you were on a paper about copper levels in cats in liver. Yes. Was that you? That's right. Yeah, so I'm curious mm -hmm. what, what drove that research. I know it's not pancreas, but it just caught my eye. I'm curious about what's, mm -hmm. what's the interest in cats with copper levels in liver. It's one of those things, you know, we know so much about uh, copper and liver disease in dogs. Yeah. And um, we had no idea really what happens with uh, copper and liver disease in cats. So... Uh, that was a study to see how common it is that cats have increased uh, liver copper concentrations and how these are associated with specific uh, liver diseases in cats, uh, lymphoma or lipidosis mm -hmm. or cholangitis kind of things. Mm -hmm. So you know, uh, the idea was that we, we commonly thought in the past that cats don't get pancreatic disease, you know? Um, so we had no idea what happens with copper and uh, the liver in cats. So this study aimed just to actually show whether or not there is any association with um, specific diseases and uh, copper concentration uh, in the liver. Uh, it doesn't seem mm. to be that common that they have increased uh, copper concentrations and um, they don't commonly are associated um, with uh, primary liver disease in cats right that's what we know so far yeah but if we don't look we don't know right so exactly exactly that's exactly the point great well thank you very much it's been um it's been uh, just lovely to talk about uh, pancreatic diseases in cats um I always refer to the, the work of Texas A&M and the GI lab um, when I do lectures on this topic uh, and you know your, your time there and the other great researchers there really have, have 
shape what I do clinically. So it's a, it's a big treat to, to have you on our podcast. Yeah, I learned so much. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm just a simple surgeon. So it's always nice to hear the internal medicine spin of a organ that is so misunderstood in veterinary yeah. medicine. So this has the been misunderstood great. misunderstood organ. <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much for, for giving me the opportunity to oh. uh, spend time with you and talk about this uh, very enigmatic yes. uh, diseases in cats. Enigmatic. I'm going to, Yola, I'm going to ask you to, to finish up this episode. Oh, thank well, you, Dr. Susan. You I'm so spot. honored to do that. So uh, if you're interested in the PER podcast, uh, we have a wonderful website called perpodcast.net. Uh, you can find us on any platform. We would really appreciate if you, you know, subscribe to our podcast and, uh, and for our avid listeners, uh, give us a good star rating so uh, we can reach more people uh, like you. And if you if you know anybody that likes cats, uh, uh, send them a message about the podcast. And we would love to extend our feline family. So thank you so much, Dr. Panos. You are awesome. Thanks yes. so much for being on. And uh, thank you, Dr. Susan. Yes. Cool. Thank you very much. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at Cat Pet Susan. Dr. Yurla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVE. TSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast. 